0: Welcome to World in Union Balls of the weekly rugby show, getting an outside perspective on Irish rugby and on the game itself. I'm Mick McCarthy alongside Morris Brosnan as always. Morris, how are you? Great, Mick, yeah, how about you? Well, I'm fantastic, and I'll tell you why. It's five, five short days, five short winter days. From the start of the Six Nations, four short days, sorry, yeah. and five days before Ireland versus England, and the real kickoff of the Six Nations in the Aviva Stadium, and I can't bloody wait. Do
1: you know? Like, an early, at one stage, it felt like it was coming too soon, like after Christmas, the yeah. they turn of the month, and then last week you had the, kind of the circus that is the Six Nations launch and all yeah. of a sudden you're absolutely geared up for straight, straight away it, after it's that. It's funny,
0: isn't it? You finish the Cup and it's like, it's like you, you know, geez, there's only two weeks to go here. This isn't long enough. We need more build-up time. We need more talks about team selections and we need, <laughs> you know, we can't be playing England straight away. We're not geared up for it. And you just, you just have that one week with, a little bit lower level yeah. rugby and suddenly you're like oh it's here it's coming it's coming so really really excited about that if you couldn't tell we're going to talk a good bit about England this week we, we mentioned last week that we would uh, we're going to talk to Charlie Morgan and the Telegraph and just get that perspective on England and on how they're doing outside of what we've been specifically reading about them in um, in the last few weeks, but a team that we're definitely a little bit worried about. They had a very good November. Eddie Jones may have found his mojo a little bit, which is evidenced by the way he's talking up Ireland with the, the kind of glint in his eye as Eddie Jones is prone to do. Um, before we get to, to Charlie, though, and we'll talk about the rest of the, the Six Nations as well, um, our run is over, unfortunately. Yeah. I can't I can't sit here and claim... Once again, at the start of the show, that it was four wins from four for the Irish provinces this week. It just didn't happen. Connacht beaten. There's a bit Munster of Ulster had a bit of a miracle win. Um,
1: is there a small bit of it like if a tree falls in a forest and numbers down, does it make a sound? Vibe about the. It's Fort true. Results it's than true. Would anyone have noticed if I didn't <laughs> bring up this
0: uh, our, our end of a stat and then just in three or four weeks mentioned four for four again? Our perfect record <laughs> continues because uh, no, well, Connacht didn't win and uh, neither did Ulster. But Ulster did get a kind of a miracle draw um, at home to Benetton, to Treviso. I don't know. Benetton is just a weird name for a team. But uh, like 17-10 down, Treviso have the ball. There's one second to go. And Nigel Owens blows the whistle. Penalty to Ulster. Two minutes later, penalty try to Ulster. And it's a 17 all draw. And Blushes are spared somewhat. Yeah, it's I still mean, not a great result. McFarland
1: did say that it was a draw that felt like a loss. Yeah. I think that's probably fair enough. It's a result that has mashes repercussions in terms of their hopes for European rugby again next year. I think yeah. uh, Benetton now... See, Benetton have been in such amazing form this year, and they're kind of standing, so it's minute reflect that, but they're going to be decimated by the Six Nations. I mean, we, yeah. we talk about Leicester being able to cope with that. There's other teams like Benetton who provide a similar you know, percentage of players to the national team but don't have the same depth to yeah. cope for that. So that's just going to be a really tricky couple of weeks for them. Yeah, but
0: they've had an unreal year. and it's, well, big it, time, it, yeah. it, it is funny though because I was talking to somebody and I won't say who it was about this and the perception of Benetton isn't that they've been outstanding but it is is it, it it is in praise of their coaching and in the way they play to their level. Like it, This isn't an insult at all but it's that they drag you down to their level. It's very hard to go out and play the kind of rugby you're playing every week when you're playing against this team who are just drilled in a certain way. And it's like in some ways so bad. Yeah. But they're getting results. Like, and it's just that's exactly what you need to do if you've got a talent deficit. And it's, it's actually really, really in high praise of their coaching and the way they're set up. And it's actually really interesting to see. It's the first time we've had a genuinely competitive Italian team since the since they've joined the, the Celtic League.
1: Yeah, which is gonna be crucial for you would hope for Six Nations to become that bit more competitive. Like the it's funny, we were actually we chatted about this off air as well about Sergio Parisse, who was talking about the he's, he actually gave some really interesting comments last week. Like he revealed that he's now on a hundred losses in his career out of hundred and thirty four games, which is astonishing really when you think about it. Like mm. I was looking at the most capped players, I think Parisse is fourth, but the rest of the players are like Australian, South African, Irish. There's no so-called weaker nations within that that bracket. Yeah. So uh, he's definitely also the you know uh, one of the probably one of the most talented number rates ever, but also the most losses in international rugby ever. But something he said away from that was that one thing that Conor shaded did really well when he convinced him to stay. Uh, he was initially considering retiring in 2015. And Conor O'Shea convinced him to stay. And together, they've done some work with Zebre and with Benetton slash Treviso mm. in terms of developing there. So that was a part of Conor O'Shea's brief. It wasn't just to, yeah. it was to bring the whole thing above board. And that's, you're kind of seeing the fruit of that work, I think, now this season.
0: Definitely. And actually, that was one of the reasons that we knew Conor O'Shea was probably a good appointment was that yeah. it was a holistic role that kind of brought everything into it. And that was something that he has proven at as a kind of a former director of rugby before he was ever a coach, mm-hmm. With Quinns, that was kind of that. That's the role that that Conor O'Shea can do so well, and he did it like in English rugby as a whole as well. Before before you kind of went to the more uh, myopic role yeah. with, with Quinns. you know. But um, yeah, look, I mean, there's lots to talk about there. We'll talk about Italy over the course of the next few weeks. I'm sure they play Scotland this week, generally their main chance for a win. Um, in, in historically, I don't know if it's quite the case anymore. Uh, France and um, France and Wales on uh, Friday night is an amazing way to start the competition. But we're obviously focusing mainly on Ireland and England Saturday night, the main event. What a way to start the tournament, really, for Ireland, um, defending Grand Slam champions with the visit of England. And um, we want to find a little bit more uh, out about England now. And would like to say we've got uh, Charlie Morgan of The Telegraph on the line. Charlie, how are you?
2: Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem at all. Thank you for being with us. Um, Charlie, I just want to start with a couple of quotes from one Eddie Jones. You may have heard of him. Ireland are the best team in the world. The pressure is all on Ireland. Ireland have got to carry all the weight of the pressure. Um, Eddie Jones just playing as usual, kind of uh, England are the paupers. We're just going to play uh, what are basically the new all-blacks of world rugby.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'd be really interesting to see his facial expression while he was saying that. Exactly. I imagine he was... <laughs> Either grinning or grinding his teeth or both, I would have thought.
0: Um, it's just classic Jones, though, isn't it? It's it's You don't know whether he's, you're going to you know, hear him completely uh, big up his team and make it out like the opposition are absolutely nothing and we just have to concentrate on our own game or whether it's kind of like what's the point in us even turning up. He's always kind of up to something with the mind games, isn't he?
2: Yeah, completely. It's, it's been really, it's been fascinating to see an operator like him in the, in the Six Nations kind of atmosphere, because, um, you know, we always, we have the yearly, we have the Six Nations launch, and it always seems to be a race to be um, labelled as underdogs. And hmm. England's, Stuart Lancaster's England were probably the same. They were a bit tentative about being favourites. Jones came in and was, from the off, he targeted a grand slam. And then this Island resurgence, you can tell it really hasn't sat well with him at all and understandably he's really competitive but it's I think it's really got under his skin I think either either last year or the year before I remember somebody asking him a question and saying well you know Ireland are the favourites do you not want to talk about how Ireland are going to play and it's it's mm-hmm. that dynamic has been that dynamic has been fascinating to have who is and Eddie Jones is a you know hard-nosed winner he's been successful most places he's been um, with intense methods to have him around this tournament has been really interesting. And now that England are underdogs, given how Ireland have played and their success recently and how much depth they've developed, what their tactical identity is, it's it's just, it's just really interesting to see how he's reacting to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And always interesting in how he does, but in terms of him himself and his job, like it was a lot of negative momentum kind of last year through the Six Nations into the summer. And, you know, November kind of rescued that a little bit. And, you know, that there, there was that, like, obviously should have beaten the All Blacks, won the rest of the games. You know, it feels like it's the first time in over a year now that there's just a little bit of momentum kind of um, with England. And... I don't know whether that's kind of translated into the press relations with the team or anything like that, but it does feel like the pressure isn't quite the same as it was a couple of months ago.
2: I think that's a really interesting point. I think Jamie George um, made it, I think he's made it over in, um, made the point over in Portugal during the training camp that England felt like they were chasing their tail during last season's Six Nations and then they went to South Africa, they had the had the Budapest back for South Africa, but... Um, and, and started brilliantly I think that's that's kind of they were on fire for that first quarter of that first test and then everything seemed to fade away for uh, the rest of those first two tests they they, they lost the series one in won the final game but then this the autumn was fascinating because he didn't have didn't have Billy Nipolo didn't have Nathan Hughes he didn't have that keynote carrier in the back row so it was a real test of Eddie Jones coaching and kind of as an extension of that, his decision to bring in John Mitchell. And John Mitchell, as the kind of defensive guru, as a replacement for Paul Gustav, but also as a specialist back row kind of mentor. And it really was a kind of endorsement, I felt, of Eddie Jones, the coach, the technical coach, the guy who can um, tailor game plans towards what he's got um, as far as a squad and as far as the kind of... um, the respective gifts that he's he's got at his disposal it was an impressive autumn from a coaching point of view and I totally agree now that Sam Underhill's a big loss because not only has he I mean he was you only have to look at his performance for Bath against Leinster at Bath I think mean, he got four or five four or five turnovers on the deck looked fantastic his carrying's been really robust as a kind of in in Billy Winopola's absence so to see those two together would have been great that's a big loss but having said that the guys that are now fit for England, um, it's now beginning. It, it's and it, and it, not to not at all to compare it to the All Blacks. But I th- always think when the All Blacks pick a team, you think, geez, God, they've got all of those players and now they put them that together on paper. When um, Eddie Jones picked his extended squad for the Six Nations, it was Raúl. Okay. Even though there are a few surprises or a few curveballs as as per usual with Eddie Jones, that group of players looks very very strong.
1: Charlie, that's a really interesting point to make there about Eddie Jones, the coach, because I think one of the more uh, remarkable quotes that came out of that press conference was the idea that Jack Nolan might play as a flanker. And a lot, of, a lot of people here, I think even us on this show, might have dismissed that. And then you wrote in your Daily Telegraph column about the idea that, you know, this idea of challenging rugby orthodoxy isn't actually that out there that it's been done before. You referenced uh, Pat Lamb, who we saw here with Connaught and somebody who's doing it now in the premiership. Like, is that do you think a, a realistic or maybe not no but certainly kind of an unconventional route that he'll take in the Six Nations
2: um I, I think it's, it's being a first of all it's been an absolute absolute treat to have Pat Lamb over in England <laughs> and being able to watch his watch his Bristol side close to it's been it's been awesome I th- that um I thought that was kind of a, a classic kind of um, distraction tactic talking about Jack Noll Jack Nolls always Eddie Eddie Jones has used him previously the in, in the Italy game um sort of no ruck gate. He brought on Jack Noll for uh, Johnny May, I think, and just basically had him shadowing, um, shadowing the scrum half just to make those runs around the fringes that he's so good at. He he really likes the kind of the breakdown work that Jack Noel gets through both in attack and defence. He's kind of when, whenever he whenever Jack is playing for England, he's off his wing from set moves, burrowing either as a carrier or um, hit, being that first man hitting the breakdown. So I think it was kind of a. I think more is sort of a commentary on, on Jack Noll as an all-round rugby player um, as opposed to kind of anything more unconventional like that uh, than that, sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just a, just a classic curveball, really. You kind of, if, if, the, if the column inches were about that, they weren't about the fact that England probably don't know what their best midfield is. They still yeah. have got a few uh, teething problems in the back row. And they picked, and at scrum half, they've picked a guy who's very talented. But for some reason, Eddie Jones hasn't seen fit to kind of blood him before now. So a a year out from less than a year out, are we eight months out now from uh, the Rugby World Cup 2019? Dan Robson remains uncapped. He's a fantastic player, but he remains uncapped, and that just uh, that kind of reflects that maybe the planning hasn't been so joined up or as joined up as it could be.
0: It's interesting we're talking about um, what Noel can offer outside of the traditional wingers' values. But because, you know, we're talking about Vinopola maybe coming back into the England team and that's a a, a real um, boost for them as a ball-carrying unit. But one of the places that they've been beaten against Ireland for the last two years really is on the ground. And, you know we talk regularly on the show about the kind of the the changing nature of turnovers and of, uh, you know, everything like that. And basically you need specialists all around the field. Now it's no longer good enough to have a kind of a six and seven who can compete for the ball. You need them in various different places. How are England set up in your opinion for that kind of coming into a team where uh, coming in against an opposition where really they have made that a speciality over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, another really interesting question that there's the big kind of, um, I guess another, uh, yeah. I mean, this just speaks to how how many different combinations Jones has at his disposal. But another big selection headache for him is fullback and whether or not he goes back to Mike Brown. But a big reason for his fondness for Mike Brown over the years has been when he's been that last line of defence. He's got his head over the ball. He's won either one turnovers or slowed down um, the kind of isolated ruck so that the defence has been able to regroup. I think... Um, Again, really interesting. You mentioned Billy Vunipola Billy Vinipola there. When Billy Vunipola is playing well, as well as his carrying, as well as his distribution, he's getting his head over the ball, and he won a couple of turnovers against Glasgow Warriors in kind of in tandem with uh, Maratoji. And when those those two kind of combine. In a similar way to maybe Omani and Standard do for do for Munster, in that you know they've got the got the jackler and then the tackler assist kind of backing, doing a bit of slide backing into into those kind of um, attacking players, attacking sports support players. I think Eng, England really improved at the breakdown uh, during the autumn. Uh, their uh, ball retention was far better, um, and against you know even in the first game they they were playing against. Um, you know, Malcolm Marks, who came in with this big reputation, he was going to destroy England's breakdown, and Dwayne Vermeulen was there as well. Dwayne Vermeulen had totally derailed them in the first couple of tests in South Africa early in the summer, but England were pretty good. Their ball of retention over that, um, over those those games, was pretty good. Um, they're going to have to. Um, whether however the game goes, they're going to have to kind of absorb a lot of phase play pressure from Ireland because Ireland just Ireland's ball retention is just so good. Um, with Tom Curry there, with Maro Toji there, with Billy Vanipola there, and Jack Noel uh, potentially, they've got those threats too, which is going to be important because they're going to have to find a way to break up that pressure. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's a, just another it's just another fascinating subplot. They're going to they're going to have to be better there because the pressure is coming on, the phase play pressure will come on from Ireland very hard.
1: It's funny, Charlie, as well, you know, talking about that, I I think it's just over a year now since Eddie Jones announced this kind of radical uh, plan to improve the conditioning and fitness of his players. And I'm just kind of wondering, when do you expect to see the fruit of that? Like, I know there was a lot of, I suppose, you know, criticism of it last year, especially given the amount of injuries they're running up in training. Like, would you foresee that maybe this Six Nations, the last one before World Cup, we might see the, the result of all that hard work?
2: Um, I, I think they've. I think in fits and starts, they've shown the benefit of, the, of that okay. of that conditioning over his tenure. I think where it's where it's obviously fallen down is is the attrition rate of the Premiership. That when they've come into these campaigns, kind of players down. That's where yeah. that's where the English kind of domestic system shows its its flaws, uh, for want of a better term. I think I think when he's when he's got the squad together for a prolonged period before the World Cup we might not see it till then. Um, but yeah, there was all this talk of percentages and um, yeah, however many percent he's going to make them fitter and however he, um, however he measures that, whether it's time bouncing off the floor. But England have dogged out a lot of games under Eddie Jones. I think it's, it is easy to forget that, that over the first couple of years, especially of his tenure, um, England weren't necessarily finding attacking fluidity, but what they were doing was uh, dogging teams out, they were they, they, you know that remarkable defensive performance in um, in Australia in the second test. There, uh, we have seen the benefit of um, Eddie Jones being an arduous taskmaster over over time. Um, I think now that he's got a, he's kind of and it's always you always need a bit of fortune. I think as an England as an England head coach um, as to how injuries fall in domestic and European competition. Um, he has had that little bit of fortune heading into this into this Six Nations. There are you know, he's got a lot of those frontline guys who he'd be who'd be in his who thought would be almost inked into his World Cup squad. A lot of those guys are fit. So yeah, it's kind of no excuses time really.
0: Any worries at all from an English point of view about the the performance in Europe of the club teams, or is that something that's so far sailed and so far away from the international game at this stage? We don't really need to think about. It. Obviously, Saracens still a force as as they kind of fe- seemingly always have been, but nobody else into the into the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup.
2: You know, you know, I think there was, I, th- I think we can probably treat those as separate issues. I think last year they probably were slightly more joined up because what was what we were seeing was just a total seemingly a total inability for from for english players to react to sort of breakdown laws and things like that and i think that's been straightened out by eddie jones that carried on that certainly carried on into into england's breakdown performances in in the six nations um i don't think you know eddie jones might kind of deny that but that it certainly looked that way i think they might have well. Unless the autumn is a false dawn, I think they might have sorted that out a little bit. So I think um, English club's success or otherwise is probably a separate issue to how they're going to play with play with England. I think Exeter, you know, we, al- we always knew that Saracens and Exeter, as far as how they're playing, how familiar they are with each other, their cohesion, their game plan, all of that, their, the squad depth, we always kind of knew that those two were quite a long way ahead um, yeah. compared to the other premiership sides. And um, I thought that two of them would have enough to qualify. Uh, Exeter just messed up, messed up a home game against Gloucester, and should have probably beaten Munster at home as well. And it, and it shouldn't have been riding on that last game um, against Munster, which they, you know, which they were admirable in, but just probably didn't, you know, didn't have, didn't have quite enough. I don't think there can be any complaints that just Saracens go through, it, because I don't, I don't think, you know, two would have been, two would have been a bonus. Maybe if maybe if Gloucester had been in a separate group, they would have had a decent run it if they'd kept everyone fit, if they'd had Muster and Creel from the start. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I think they're yeah, I think they're separate issues to be honest. Okay,
0: no, fair enough. Um, before we let you go, I just want to ask a little bit about Ireland and sort of the perception among maybe in the English media or, or English rugby in general. Like, obviously. The success is there for the take, you know, that it's obvious what they've done in the last couple of years and what position Ireland are in now. I'm just wondering from the outside, is there a sense that this is a a sustainable, easy for me to say, um, uh, thing for Irish rugby? um, Or is it kind of like is this is down to Joe Schmidt and a kind of a, a group of players coming together at the same time?
2: I think a bit of both, probably. I think it will be, I think the what you've got with Joe Schmidt and, and someone like Andy Farrell is an amazingly complementary blend that they've got. They've got guys seriously meticulous. I mean, speaking to people over this last week for a feature on um, Joe Schmidt and how he puts his strike moves together, and it's blown my mind. Speaking to speak to someone like Gervin Dempsey, who's worked with him before in, mm. in Leinster and the, the attention to detail, I know it's kind of, the story's kind of been around for a few years, but getting a real um, insight on that's been brilliant. The blend of that, together with the kind of real fiery charisma that Andy Farrell offers, that's proven kind of unsurprisingly to be a really, really good blend. And as you say, those, those, um, those senior players, I think are very special. I think Johnny, certainly Johnny Sexton certainly Connor Murray, although they, it was fantastic that they beat uh, the All Blacks without Connor Murray and then without, you know, without a load of, without a load of lions actually. But then if you look at the, the guys coming through, that is a, spe- that's a special crop as well. You know, James Ryan's, Potentially going to be a totanic a Titanic player for another decade. He's fantastic. He's a superb player. You know, guys are, um Jacob Stockdale potentially the same, and although it'll be in a totally different role. I hope it's I hope it's sustainable because it's been really cool to watch. What will be really interesting is how Andy Farrell goes as a head man, because maybe with that, you know, and, and it remains to be seen whether whether we've seen how good he is in that restricted role as defence coach as a guy who. Um, G's players up, you know, he has that um whatever be it would bit, you know, Thursday morning, Friday morning meeting where he, you know, he he ramps up the, the intensity, he's fantastic at that, you know, he's a world leader at that. Um what how he does as the as the as the top man, who he who he kind of um, appoints to be under him will be fascinating. Um the signs are the signs are really good. When you look at someone like Joe Carberry, with who's had when he's had more game time, yeah. it's brilliant. And the, and the emergency, I mean. Dan Levy, we're not we're not talking about him necessarily in the lead up to this tournament. Whether he was an absolute rock star in the last tournament, so you know there's there's depth, there's fantastic depth there. Um, there's a game plan that they can build on. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I do I do believe it's sustainable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's just because in in November a new like timeline starts on Irish rugby, which is I think P.S. post or P.P.J. post Joe, and we're all very scared, and <laughs> we just kind of need some reassurance from the outside. Sometimes I think, um, Charlie, before we go, uh, call it for Saturday.
2: Uh, Ireland, a bit will be close, I think, it'll be very very close. Okay, okay, and
0: uh, you think? Uh, where do you think England's kind of position is in the Six Nations re- realistically then?
2: Yeah, I think, I think, I think Wales will, will. They've been, they've been my pick from a long way out to win mm. it. I, I just think Warren Gatland's Warren Gatland's played an absolute blind of this World Cup cycle, and he's, he's, um, he's peaking brilliantly. They've got Ireland at home, and they're not scared of Ireland, aren't they? The only side that Joe Schmidt has a below fifty percent win yeah. rush, win rush against. They're just, they're just, they're just not intimidated by Ireland in, in a way that I think other sides around the world are now. Um, I think that England's best England's best chance. They've in previous visits to Dublin. I haven't gone behind. They've gone behind quite early and just been strangled. I think if they get, if they get a lead um, early on, then they might have a chance, and then that changes the whole their whole kind of um, whole setup of the tournament. So that's that's a really interesting one. But yeah, I think I think Ireland put one.
0: We'll take that. I think we'd always take that against England. Charlie Morgan, Daily Telegraph. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks very much for having me again. Cheers. Guys
0: great stuff there charlie morgan we'll definitely talk to, to charlie again that was really insightful and enjoyable funny we were talking off air um not too not too long ago about two minutes before we started the show and you were telling me that wales were your uh, were the ones who were going to throw the spanner in the works yeah, this no, year
1: i now i can't use that point because I, like an I And so i like... didn't even say <laughs> it in the intro
0: because i didn't know that was coming up i've totally uh, I, i've totally undermined you here but i will say for honesty's sake you did you have the exact same opinion as Charlie uh, yeah,
1: like. the I like they not don't, they don't, I don't think it's necessarily that uh, controversial opinion. where's of the two hardest games at home this year. They're in amazing form, as we spoke to Ben James about this before the year. Gatton seems primed for this tournament. The only <sighs> negative is their number eight, Falautau, who's broken his arm is now out, yeah. which is a massive loss, uh, yeah. as it would be for anyone. But other than that, I think they, uh, yeah, they could be a, a potential dark horse this tournament. Yeah,
0: wanted to talk a little bit about Andy Farrell there. Charlie was just talking about him. It's something that dawned on me now. It's, we, it's happened for a couple of years, so it's not exactly a novelty at the moment, but it does constantly surprise me that the key as a defensive coach to stopping England is to stop on Farrell. Rugby is a violent and aggressive sport. So you would say then, if you just want to take a few liberties in adding two and two together and maybe getting five or six, Andy Farrell's entire job this year, this week... Is to devise a game plan to hurt his son, yeah. <laughs> physically.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually I remember uh, a press briefing where it's and, weird, like isn't yeah, it? Yeah, big time. Like I remember, I remember uh, at a press conference, uh, somebody made a joke that what, what Andy Farrell be, you know, feeding his son information about the Ireland defence camp before the game, and he definitely didn't think it was that funny. Um, no, but I yeah, I suppose it's kind of a a weird economy.
0: What's funny about that is that was like the most insulting thing that could ever be asked. And Andy Farrell's a professional, and you know, oh, absolutely, yeah, he would yeah. never. No, but what I'm saying is that I don't understand why that's so. Like, I love my job. I take it very seriously. I do it to the best of my ability. But I would choose my son over my job. I don't have a son, so maybe it's easy <laughs> for me to say. But I would like, you know, you would like to think that. But maybe that's outside the game. Then you know, that's not something that Own Farrell would want either. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that's it. they're two different things. But. You know, it is a weird situation that, like, you know, you he's the number 10. He's the guy that you have to stop. He's the guy that you're thinking you're there telling Sean O'Brien or someone. You know, you're saying, right, you have to be ready to go to hit the rook at because this is when, he, this is when Owen's going to kick the ball. You know, this is the way he sets up. So you have to be off there and you have to get to him first and knock him down, you know, and basically target him or run at his channels, you know, yeah. run through him, knock yeah. him over head first if you have to.
1: <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> what kind of language is being used i guess his language you know? I, from his own perspective he'd probably be talking about the uh, defense as more of a like a collective you know like we're we're not stopping one player we're stopping england there ah uh, uh, my uh, arse <laughs>
0: you have to stop the ten, you know or you have to target him in defense you have to try and get him in there with like and own farrell's liable to give away a penalty in the way he tackles you you know like you can't you can't say well sure, that's not defence coach I suppose yeah that's but that would be his job next year
1: yeah as a head coach yeah yeah.
0: yeah. look I don't know
1: maybe I, it works in both ways like I read uh, like a weird side point I read Stephen Hunt in the Sunday Penny yesterday he was telling he was writing that he uh, he used to ring teammates who Irish teammates who played for other championship clubs to get their starting team before games so he'd be able to feed it back like it was in this whole Bielsa Spygate subplot and that he said so maybe like Farrell can tell his dad who's going to be starting nine like will it be Robinson or Youngs and that will benefit
0: just in in the the interweek chit chat it just (laughs) happens to come up and and, and Andy goes don't worry mate I won't tell anyone (laughs) that and then he just like (laughs) off and goes Joe you won't believe it Robson starting. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, we mentioned um uh charlie also mentioned dan levy there is someone that we're not talking about we we're looking at him like he didn't make a, a, a yeah, fitness he'd, he'd he'd play, the fitness test to play you know which was unfortunately was cat leo Cullum was saying his calf just isn't there yet at the moment that's kind of annoying for ireland and annoying for schmidt but you think it's something that like if he is almost there he could come back in pretty quickly and he could play a part later in the year and yeah exactly. it's funny the way we're talking about like who are these future superstars levy is someone that is very rarely mentioned in ireland you know, we talked about him a little bit, and he's someone that had such a huge impact. But it's interesting to hear, Charlie, when we're talking about that outside perspective that he's in that list with that with with yeah. uh, James Ryan and with these guys. You know, be and with Stockdale because he did have the, such a huge impact in the Six Nations. It's it's easy to forget sometimes the specifics of the games twelve months ago.
1: And it's funny, I guess, when you when you're analysing an opponent, like we might talk about England, and like I know we asked about Vinopola or the likes of somebody like Jack Noel who are these kind of eye-catching, you know, 50-yard breaks, the steamroller in uh, Napoleon's case. But then you got somebody like, uh, for example, Sam Underhill, who in the same yeah. vein as Levy probably isn't the exact, you know, like eye-catching pair, but he's so explosive and such a kind of a fiend. Like he would inhibit your, as an opponent, you'd need to do more analysis of what he's going to do then these players who you know what they're going to do is just about trying to stop them.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely notable that when we're talking about England's chances, him being missing is the first thing that comes up. Yeah, when we're talking when, yeah. when we're talking to Charlie, like so that you know that's how that goes. These players are so important. Just on the Ireland team, then you know I I didn't mention uh, you know the one question we picked the team on last week's show and I suppose one of the there's very few extra questions or anything that's changed since then but you know one of them will be Rob Carney we didn't mention Lencer earlier Lencer kind of did what they do against the Scarlets at the weekend where they didn't play well looked like they weren't going to win and just obviously just, just find a result out of nowhere despite not playing well but one of the big big talking points coming out of that game was that Rob Carney did come back from injury but did not play well was caught a lot in defence um, and especially just reading like some of the reports and the way people people watching it on Twitter I didn't see it live I saw it afterwards it didn't look as bad but live people were like God like Carney has been absolutely roasted here he can't play next week my thoughts on it, and I'll get yours is that like there's an element of Carney kind of saving himself there's also a lot of credit in the bank after the year he had last year and mm. he just does seem to find his form when he needs to for Ireland and he's done like we, we've been worried about him coming into games before wondering was it the conservative selection to pick him and he's gone out and said absolutely not yeah, I'm the right man for the job. See, I
1: mean, I guess from a from a Joshua perspective, you'd be kind of I'd be less concerned because it wasn't you know, it it was like bad reads or he was out of position for a tackle and got caught badly, which is something that's eye catching. And so you were talking about the reaction on Twitter. People are yeah. obviously going to be caught by that when you know player effectively bypass and he's kind of diving after somebody. But it wasn't you know it didn't look like like he didn't look unfit. He didn't mm. look. Is um, kind of jumping into the line when he was in attacking stuff that looked solid. He was fine on the high ball. It was more so just this kind of like I was. I mean, I think but this that game that people
0: was, will immediately mistake for missing a step. Yeah. 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 So like losing I mean, a step.
1: Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which like the, I don't think there was certainly not in perceivable signs of like that last night uh, or on Friday night. I think that get that game for people like Carney or for McGrath was just to get minutes under the belt. Like McGrath came off after 15 minutes. Uh, Carney wasn't long after him. Mm. The when you're watching that game, the stand-up performers aren't ever going to be them. They're going to be the likes of O'Loughlin or O'Brien or uh, Kieran Frawley I think looks like a really good player there I would have. They're kind of the stand-up moment. So I wouldn't be overly concerned I still think if he's fit he starts and he demonstrated that he was fit on Friday night. I think that too. Do you think Ireland will win? I do. I would. Yeah, I mean to uh, copy what Charlie said earlier again (laughs) um, I think it'll be probably a one-score game. I think it'll be very close but I do think Ireland will win at home especially.
0: Yeah, I just remember we playing the like sometimes there's just a general fear there in England we're a little bit in free fall. But I watched about twenty minutes of like twenty minute highlights package of the Twickenham game, the Grand Slam game, like two or three weeks ago. I kind of caught, came across it by yeah. accident and decided to watch it. You know, and I was amazed at how little specifics I remembered of the game. But what I did remember all the way through was how comfortable Ireland were. Mm-hmm. Like we got those early tries and never ever ever looked like not winning the game. It was it was almost a. It was almost an anti-climax. Yeah, it was. We had the Grand Slam one in Twickenham kind of early in the game. Now, the scoreline wouldn't suggest that, but the reality of watching it, we never felt under pressure. And, you know, I do have to bear that in mind that I think we just might be a better team than England at the moment. And we are at home and haven't lost in the Six Nations at home since 2013. Yeah. That's an insane record. It's 2019 now, by the way.
1: Despite the fact that like, they traditionally start tournaments slow, you know. I mean like the yeah. France game is the classic example last year in terms yeah. of what happened there. But just in terms generally they kind of ease themselves into tournaments so, which is like maybe slight encouragement for England. I still think they'll win yeah. yeah.
0: I have a very natural worry just because it's England and because you don't know what to expect and because we haven't seen Ireland since November. But we really should have more faith in this team is what I'm trying to say. Maybe, and yeah. at least assume that they're gonna win. And if they don't they don't then we'll discuss why next week. Uh other two games, really looking forward to both of them. Um and that for that is France against Wales. I think in Ireland, we're hoping for a fact, given what we're talking about with Wales. But I think these games are always interesting. The Friday night Wales Definitely, games yeah. are always fun. Um, France, uh, you know, their home opener last year was kind of memorable yeah. against us. Um, <laughs> if we got the same game again, we'd take it. But I don't know, France, I, you know, we never know what they're going to be until they play.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it, all, it all depends on... Like, you looking back at you know the November internationals is it the France that played against Fiji or is it the France playing against South Africa that are going to turn up and depending on which one turns up they'll beat yeah. Wales or they'll lose by 30 points
0: We'll also very very quickly mention France back in proper blue jerseys with white and red trim <laughs> yeah. white shorts red socks all six teams this year wearing we. the right colours Yeah. and my god what a refresh actually for the first time ever because we're the only ones who never really go away from it Ireland are probably the with our kind of weird green mermaid jerseys are probably the furthest away from the traditional. So yeah, from the ho- yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Which we've never been. We've always been right there in the middle. We've never changed. We're the only team in the Six Nations that have never changed our home gear. Yeah. And, and for that I am proud of <laughs> a proud Irishman. I'm very into kits, as as you might know.
1: I think it's still it's like it's still pretty much green it's just like a mishmash of uh oh yeah no no it's 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 it's
0: absolutely fine it's just that given everybody's gone back traditional for once the other side of it yeah uh no it's a very weird jersey i have to (laughs) say (laughs) it really is uh anyway last game Italy, home to Scotland. Traditionally, Italy's big chance of a win. You catch Scotland, you know, your home game. You might catch them, um, you know, before they kind of get into the swing of the tournament. Yeah. They'll be looking at Ireland and Murrayfield the week after for sure. Any chance?
1: No, but I think... Because this isn't it, the old Scotland. Yeah, That's like, the problem. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. The, the especially uh, the kind of... Like, there might not be... Uh, Charlie said there's not a big connection between the English clubs and the English national team. I think there is, when it comes to Scotland, I think you've seen kind of the... yeah. Boom of some really talented players, who I think Gregor Townsend can kind of mold moving forward with them. Yeah, both teams be, in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think it's imperative for Italy to be competitive in that game, though, because for, if they fade away again, like they just can't, you can't persist to be continually the you know the lame dog in a tournament. Like it just doesn't it doesn't work. with like And I think for the for the sake of it being kind of a great tournament, I hope they really I really hope that they can put up a fight and not just on the it. I mean, in the Scotland game across the for board, the whole yeah.
0: tournament. Yeah, yeah. Because last year just wasn't that for the yeah. most part, unfortunately can't wait for it there's more this weekend as well it all starts friday night of course in paris but there's also games on friday night in irish independent park in cork where the under 20s the irish under 20s take on england and of course then we have um the women also taking on england in energy park yeah yeah and energy park so um kind of worried a little bit about that one i have to be honest i'm looking forward to seeing the women's team a little bit this year just to see how as we kind of mentioned it last week there's kind of a sort of a resetting um and a younger generation coming through but england unfortunately are basically the all blacks of women's rugby and that's going to be very very tough but we'll talk more in depth about them as the six nations goes on um from next week on and we'll um, i'm going to the under 20s game in cork actually so I'm looking forward to that um, and I'll ta- I'll talk a little bit about that next Tuesday as well.
1: Yeah, in a similar vein, I guess there's a lot of, like a lot of really exciting, a lot of younger Irish players and their younger brothers playing in yeah. that team. You've got Harry Byrne, uh, younger Weasley, Scandalous brothers also mm. there as well. So that's kind of a, a nice up there and there's also just some really talented prospects coming through. Come on, Definitely. Like, come, I know the Irish women are missing a couple of players with Sevens as well which obviously is not ideal with it, Six Nations but there's, for both of those teams, some really kind of exciting prospects that yeah. it, it's kind of a, like the dawn of a new wave almost for once it does feel it. like that yeah. for the
0: women's team for sure yeah. yeah and i'd definitely like to look into it a little bit more and see them see the game now on friday and kind of see where they are and maybe ha- have a have a chat about it um they'll obviously be in scotland um uh for for in for the second game and um by the time we speak to you again that's where they'll be heading and we'll know a little bit more about them um we are unfortunately out of time because we could get pumped up for the six nations all all the way but look If you've listened to us you're an hour closer to the start of the six (laughs) nations and for that i'm sure you are grateful um hope you enjoyed the show we'll be back with you next tuesday when ireland will be well on the way to yet another grand slam